Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. For the rest of us, let's just grab our seats very quickly. I just want to share something quick tonight. And it's a very important subject And I want to read a portion of scripture that's found in Proverbs 25, verse 28. It says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Profound statement. It's a profound verse in a profound proverb. And it's basic saying that if we have no rule over our spirit, we are as defenceless as a city without walls. A city without walls doesn't mean as much to us today, but if you think back some two, three, four, five thousand years ago, walls were built around cities for their protection. More often than not, cities were built on a high place and put a big wall around for the protection of that city. And the writer of Proverbs here is saying that the person who doesn't rule their spirit is like a city with a wall that's been broken down. They are defenceless against the onslaught of the enemy. Whether you like this or not, we all have an enemy. And it's not the person sitting to your right or to your left. Relax. But there is one, the Bible says, the enemy who comes to kill, steal and destroy. There's an enemy. There's an evil perpetrator that wants to come and rob you of the life of God. He wants to rob you of your health. He wants to rob you of your emotional uh, strength and mental sanity. He wants to rob you of peace, rob you of joy. He wants to rob you of everything that is good and godly in your life. And... If we're not aware of that and we don't look after our spirit and keep a right spirit, then we are as defenceless as a city without walls against the attack of the enemy. And so the attack of the enemy is going to come. We can't sit here and pray a prayer tonight that the enemy will not attack. That, that's not the miracle that we're going to get tonight. That's a, that's a vain hope if that's our prayer. But I want to speak to us how we might keep a right spirit because your spirit is your responsibility and my spirit is my responsibility. One of my life goals that I've set for myself is this, to have the body of a young man, the wisdom of an older man and the spirit of a godly man. And you can't just pray for things like that. It's the things you've got to do. And so for the last 20, 30 years, I've been making sure that I get to the gym and I do uh, some exercise and I eat the right foods because I wanted to look after this body that God had given me. That inspiration came from my dad. I looked at my dad who was that, my dad was basically about 10 years older than all my other friends' dads. He had us a little bit later than most of my friends. And so he was about 10 years older. And yet he looked 10 to 15 years younger. And he had an attitude that was 10 to 15 years younger. 
And I used to be able to say, uh, you know that thing when my dad could beat your dad up? You know, we had those kind of uh, those conversations. Well, when I said my dad could beat your dad up, I was telling the truth. My dad could literally beat someone else's dad up. And uh, so I had this inspiration from an early age that I wanted to have the body of a young man. And so I started eating, I'll never forget as a teenager, eating wheat germ and, and muesli and adding all these weird concoctions. I used to have vinegar and honey. I, I, I don't know why, but just my dad did it. So I just copied him, didn't like it, but I just drank it and all the rest of it. So that was that goal. But then I wanted the wisdom of an older man. And I thought, how do you get the wisdom of an older man? Well, one of the things I, I know you've got to do is hang around older people, but not just any older person. There's a lot of miserable older people out there. And there are some older people that haven't grown up, they've just grown old. Have you noticed that? Growing up, uh, sorry, growing old is no guarantee of growing up. It's a decision. And so I wanted the, uh, the body of a younger man, the wisdom of an older man. And so I started reading books from older, wiser men. Started hanging around older, wiser men. Started having some coaches and mentors in my life to speak into my life and give me wisdom beyond where I was at physically. But I also wanted to keep a spirit of a godly man because that's my responsibility. My responsibility is to look after my spirit. If I don't look after my spirit, I become defenseless against the onslaught of the enemy. And I feel that much of our places that we get in life is because we haven't looked after our spirit. Our spirit's got hurt, it's got bruised, it's got battered, it's got beaten. And when we're in a beat, battered and beaten and bruised spirit, we don't think straight, we don't see straight, we don't talk straight. And I want to address that issue tonight and coupled with the presence of God, start a journey of keeping a right spirit in check. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's a wellspring of life. Heart and spirit are used interchangeably in the Word of God. And, and it's saying that we've got to look after our spirit. We've got to guard our heart because it's a wellspring of life. If you want to keep the life in your marriage, you've got to look after and guard your heart. If you want to keep the life in your family, you've got to guard the heart and the spirit that's within you. If you want to, if you want to guard the life that you have for Jesus and guard the love that you have for the church, if you want to guard those things, you've got, to, you've got to protect your spirit. You've got to protect your heart. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. It never ceases to amaze me that someone could be in the same meeting at the same time on the same day. And someone says, that was amazing. And someone says, I didn't like that. That's a condition of the heart. That, that, that's an overflow of your heart. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And so what we find ourselves saying is crucial to becoming self-aware. If you can't see the good, if you can't see the God in a moment like this, if all you've got is negative, critical conversation and comment to make, and, 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 and you're hearing yourself saying that, that, that should be a check that your spirit is not where it needs to be. And we all get there. I, I, I've been there. But it's recognising it. It's being self-aware. Getting there is not the problem. It's not recognising and staying there. That's the bigger problem. And the best of God's people have found themselves there. Here's the good news. The best of God's people. You know, we talk about the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, there's these incredible men and these incredible women who did incredible things for God. But these incredible men and incredible women who did incredible things for God found themselves at this place from time to time. 
One of them was King David. David was that incredible young kid who found himself on the battlefield, age 17, thereabouts. And uh, just so happened, there was this giant of a man came to defy the army of the living God, the Israelites, just as David got there. And David thought, who is this uncircumcised giant that he would stand against God and His people? And why the heck aren't we doing anything about it? David's brothers got agitated and angry with the younger brother, David. And they said, oh, you're conceited. You've just come here to see the battle. To which David's looking around saying, hang on, I don't see a battle. It's amazing when your heart's crippled and and your spirit's wounded, you start saying things and seeing things that are not happening. They were saying, you've come to see the battle. There's no battle. That's a sign of a wounded spirit. When you start declaring things that aren't even happening. That person's ignoring me. No, they maybe didn't see you. you... We start saying things and speaking things that aren't even true. And so David says, man, just let me at him. I'll take him. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. I'll take him. He goes to see King uh, King Saul. Saul says, look, I I don't want you to do this. This is not a good idea. This is not going to end well. Long story short, he says, if you're going to go, put on my armour. David tries King Saul's armour. It doesn't fit. Precious people, well-meaning people, always trying to put things on you. As we come into the winter months, mums, be careful you don't put a jumper on little Johnny who's not cold. As I've got older, I feel the cold more than when I was younger. No self-respecting 10-year-old boy feels the cold. He's just too busy. He's too active. Doesn't need your jumper. But we do. I feel cold, so put this on. You know, I've had a lot of people say to me, oh, you must be jet lagged. And people are trying to put jet lag on me because we just flew in from South Africa. And can I just say, I've been travelling for over 20 years and I've been doing what I do for over 20 years. And God has supernaturally graced me just to get on planes, get off planes and do what I do. And and so with all due respect, and I I know it could be deemed as care and and thank you for your care and thank you for your concern and thank you for your love. But you know what? I I, I don't want jet lag put on me. (laughs) With all due respect. And sometimes you've got to fight the well-meaning conversations. I'm not faking up here. I'm not tired, just soldiering on. If, if, I'm, if I'm tired, I'll let you know. But God has supernatural grace, me and Mick, over this week just to do what we do. It's been fantastic. And so King David was a hero. He kills Goliath. He ends up becoming king. Amazing story. One of God's champions of the faith. But as luck would have it or life has it, things happen. Stuff happens in life. You ever notice that? Stuff happens. And here's David having come so far. And having come so far, finds himself one day in the palace when all his armies are out fighting, which is where he should have been. It was this time where kings went to war and David didn't go. The one time David didn't go, he's at home in the palace and idle hands make great work for the devil. You heard that saying? And so here's David, got nothing to do, but he's made to conquer. He's a warrior at heart. He's a fighter. He's a battler. And so he sends his fellows off to war, and he's in the, he's in the palace. And what happens with every warrior who's 
meant to be fighting and not fighting, they're going to conquer something. We're called to conquer. We're called to take ground. We're called to, to have dominion. We're called to be fruitful. We're called to multiply. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. That was the first command to Adam. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over the earth. And that was David's mandate. And, and he'd done so well up to that point. But here he is in the palace, kind of got time on his hands. He's got energy. He's still got that spring in his step, that glint in his eye. He's still got that uh, you know, passion to conquer. But there's nothing to conquer until he sees a young lady. She's taking a bath. Some people have said, ah, oh, she was being very deceitful because she was taking this bath just at the right time when David would walk the roofs. Maybe. But you know what? That never would happen if David was where he was meant to be at war. And so he sees this woman, thinks, I like her, and I'm going to conquer her. I've got to have her. Ends up committing adultery. And then uh, to try and cover up the mess, he, he gets the woman's husband, to come off the battlefield. He tries to get him drunk and say so he'll sleep with uh, the wife so that if there's any pregnancy, because uh, of the pregnancy, uh, you know, it'll be his, not mine. But he's a righteous man. He won't even touch his wife. His attitude is, how could I sleep with my wife when my friends are on the battlefield? David's like, this is a problem. And so David sends this young man back to the battlefield. And he was told by David to his commanding officer to put this young man on the front lines so that his life be taken and so at that moment David is now an adulterer and a murderer this is one of God's heroes one of God's champions what do you do David's so oblivious he's, he's not self-aware at this moment he's just you know got away with it and it takes a man of God have you got men of God in your life that will come and and speak the word of God into your life this prophet Nathan comes up to him and uh, Nathan's got a message from God to David. And Nathan starts by telling a story, a simple little story, about a particular shepherd who has one sheep and another shepherd who had thousands of sheep. And Nathan tells a story that the shepherd that had a thousand sheep went to the shepherd with one sheep and took his one sheep. David was so oblivious. He was so lacking self-awareness that he was enraged as the prophet was telling this story. David in his heart of heart saying, man, let me out that guy, I'll kill him. And then the prophet finds the courage to say, you're that man. David, the little story I've told, you're that man, you're that shepherd with thousands of sheep and you've taken that shepherd with one sheep, you've taken his sheep away from him. What's David going to do? Even at that moment, as king, having total authority in the land, he could have just silenced the prophet, pretty much like he'd silenced the husband. What I love about David is that eventually he gets it. And he's stricken to his heart. He's stricken. I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's got, been going on in your life. I don't know if anger or hurt or bitterness has crept in. But I do know this, whatever you're full of is what you minister out of. Whatever you're full of is what you minister out of. If you have a contaminated spirit, it will contaminate your message. A contaminated spirit will always contaminate the message. 
You can preach God's Word. You can speak the truth of God's Word. You can say it verbatim. But if you've got a contaminated spirit, it won't come across the same. And so it's right that the writer in Proverbs says, we've got to rule our spirit. Because a ruled spirit, a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, is what keeps the message clean. A dirty, contaminated spirit is what dirties and contaminates the message. We have this incredible, beautiful message that there's a God in heaven that knows you and loves you. But if our spirit's unclean, it's never going to come across the way God intended it to. And so David, in his brokenness, writes a particular psalm, Psalm 51. And in verse 10, it says this, Created me a clean heart. Everyone say clean heart. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. Everyone say right spirit. If you can have a right spirit, it means your spirit can be wrong. We've all got a spirit, whether it's right or not, whether it's clean or not. And David recognised at this moment, it wasn't what it needed to be, it wasn't where it needed to be. It wasn't as clean as it needed to be. And so he says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. As we continue to walk with God, our spirits should become more like Him. God is a generous God, a gracious God, a forgiving God, a loving God. And as we walk with Him and become more like Him, we'll become more gracious, forgiving and loving. Likewise, we'll become more courageous and strong and bold. Your spirit is your responsibility. My spirit is my responsibility. Can I say this with all due respect? If you're hurting, if you're hurt, the hurt you feel is on you. You may say, no, this person did this and this person did that and this person did the other. And I get the hurt. I get I get it. I've been doing church for 22 years. I get that people can hurt. I get it. I felt it firsthand. But we're in charge of our spirit. People might hurt us. But whether we choose to live hurt or not is on us. We can't stop people hurting us. But how we choose to live is up to us. We can't stop people hurting us. But whether we live hurt is on us. I so believe in this message. The Bible says that God is able to do immeasurably more. I quote it all the time. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Immeasurably more above and beyond do we ask, dream, hope or even imagine. But then he goes on to say, according to the power that's at work in you. According to the power that's at work within you. Or it could be said this, according to what you're full of. And so my question is this morning, this evening, what are you full of? Because what you're full of is what you'll get immeasurably more of. If you're full of faith, you'll get immeasurably more faith. And you'll operate out of immeasurably more faith. But if you're full of hurt, guess what? You'll get immeasurably more hurt. Have you noticed this? Hurt people hurt people. Have you noticed that? And they minister out of their hurt and they find each other. Birds of a feather flock together is one of the ancient proverbs 
of old. I, I believe God wants to do a miracle. I believe God wants to do something in the moment that he's creating. And I believe it has something to do around our spirit staying clean, being uncontaminated, that we may live free from the hurt that comes our way. This particular prayer is, is a prayer that I would pray on a semi-regular basis. I use it as a bit of a model. There's great prayers in the Bible to, to use as a model to help us. The Lord's Prayer is a good one to use as an outline. But, but this for me, when I'm hurting, and when I'm struggling, and when I'm sensing that my spirit's not quite clean or what it should be, my prayer is along the lines of what David prayed all those years ago, created me a clean heart. And I would love to tell you as a pastor, I pray at once and I'm just clean. I would love to be able to stand up here and say, you know what? I pray that prayer. It's like a magical formula, abracadabra, and I'm clean. And I can say this. Sometimes I pray it and it is. It's like that. Other days, it's not like that. And the reason some days it's like that and some days it's not like that is because some days things get stuck a bit harder. Have you ever had some wheat bix in a bowl and the moment you finish it, you've rinsed it and it comes off straight away? If you get onto it quick, it comes off straight away. A quick rinse and it's gone. But what happens to that wheat bix bowl and you leave out? And let's just say you're eating outside and the sun baked it on. That stuff goes like concrete. You can't just put it under the bowl and just uh, under the water and just swill it once like you could have earlier. See, the earlier you get onto it, the quicker you get rid of the junk. The longer you hold on to it, the harder it gets. Hurt's sticky. Have you noticed that? Hurt is sticky. And when you do life and ministry, and when you do life with people, and I'm saying this because I know where our connect groups are heading. Cast on two incredible weeks on why we need to connect and the power of connection. We need to be connected to one another, but we also need to be connectors with those who aren't presently in our church. We need to be connected and we need to be connectors. But that's easier said than done because you're dealing with people. And there's nothing hurts more than people. There's nothing more precious than people and there's nothing that hurts more than people. And when someone hurts you and you get into the presence of God real quick and say, Father, created me a clean heart. He's like, wow, peace comes. But the moment you leave, sit on it and you leave it a day, and you think, oh, I'll pray about it tomorrow. I'm just too mad right now. I'll pray about it tomorrow. I'm too mad. And then, you know what? I'm still too mad. I'll pray about it the next day. You know what? I'll pray about it next week and you're still mad. You know what? I'll pray about it next year. And then, you know what? I'll pray about it next decade. And I know there are some people, I've met them, they hold on to things for years and decades. And they're talking about something that happened as if it happened yesterday. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. Can I ask, when did that happen? And they say, well, I can't remember exactly, but I know it was, way, it was, it was before Malcolm Fraser was in power. And it was it's like, wow, that's a long time ago. Some of you are thinking, who's Malcolm Fraser? Google it. It's a long time ago that he was Prime Minister of Australia. That's my point. And when you've been holding on to things that long, sometimes it just takes time saturating yourself, 
soaking yourself in His presence. And so as a pastor, sometimes I can say, Lord, created me a clean heart. And wow. But there's other times, if I'll be honest, can I tell you how some of my prayers look? Do you want some inside? Do you want the inside version of what my prayers look like sometimes? Don't think less of me. Hopefully it'll make you feel normal. But sometimes I'm praying, I say, Lord, created me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. The spirit that's been brutalised by people who should know better. People, dear God, who have let me down. People, dear, and I find myself getting more and more frustrated and more and more angry as I pray. Has anyone else has done that? You're seeking peace, but at the end of your prayer, you're more frustrated than before. Anyone else done that? I've done that. And at that moment, ever so aware that I'm in that place, I realise I've got to start again. And I've made a commitment to God and to myself and to my family and to this church that I'm going to live with the right spirit. Because it doesn't matter how well I preach, if I'm not preaching with a clean spirit, we won't have a clean church. And so I go again, Lord, created me a clean heart. I'm so frustrated right now, Lord. I'm just ticked off. I'm just so mad. Oh my gosh, Lord. You know what, Lord? I'm going to do a workout first. I'll, I'll come back. I'm just going to do a workout. I'll come back and say, Lord, I realise this is not good for me. Not only do I use that little scripture as a, a little bit of an outline, I also have an image in my head that's something so powerful to me. And it's the image of Christ on the cross. Now when you see Christ on the cross, you've got to understand the lead up to Him getting there is anything but a good day. What got Christ on the cross was betrayal, abandonment. He was beaten, battered, bloodied and bruised. He was so exhausted, he fell to the ground and a man by the name of Simon had to carry the cross for the last few hundred yards to where he was to be crucified. And then they laid him on a cross. They put massive nails through his wrists and his feet. Talk about a bad day. He's having a bad day. Someone cut me off in the traffic. This is the ultimate of bad days. Then Jesus cross, get hoisted up and put in the ground. He's struggling to breathe. Crucifixion was designed to suffocate you. In order to get some breath, you'd have to push yourself up off the nails just to get a breath and then go down and can't breathe. Just, uh, this is a bad day. But it didn't stop there for Jesus. He's got people now mocking him, spitting on him, saying, call yourself the Christ, the Messiah. He who says he can save others, why don't you get off the cross and save yourself? And Jesus responds with this thought, forgive them. But here's the bit that I love. He says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. When my spirit's contaminated, when my spirit's not as clean as it should be, when it's not as right as it should be, my benchmark is to get that place that Jesus was on the cross where I can look at people again and say, forgive them, Lord. I know what they're doing. 
They don't want a saying. And it's a sweet, sweet place when you get there. And you'll know when you get there. You'll know when you're not there. And you'll know when you get there. I do know this to be true. I couldn't have done 22 years in the same place, dealing with the same people, with many of the same problems. Week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, without doing what I'm telling you to do. It's the only way we're going to do longevity. Is if we can keep a right spirit. Jesus said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. You see, if Jesus had got down and saved himself, he wouldn't have saved us. But he chose not to save himself in order to save others. Isn't that awesome? And the only reason he could do that is because he kept his spirit clean. He didn't have to. The Bible says he could have called legions of angels come to rescue him. And he could have had dominion. He could have had authority and power. But it would have been to short circuit. He would have had authority and power, but not with us. He took the long way around, died a brutal death, rose on the third day, getting his authority and power back, but bringing us on the journey. What an incredible thing. How did he do it? Not just because he's Jesus, please. And please don't look at me like, it's okay for you, you're a pastor. It's all right for Jesus, he's Jesus. It's all right for you, Tony, you're a pastor. It's all right for you, you're married. It's all right for you, you're single. Seriously, where does it stop? It's your spirit. And the only person who's responsible for your spirit is you. Nobody can make you hurt. They can hurt you, but they can't make you hurt. Does that make sense? They can hurt you. And no one's going to hurt you more than people. Your dog might annoy you, but people will annoy you more. There's nothing on this planet that's going to annoy you more than people. Even that car that cut you off, it's not the car. The car didn't do it. It's the person driving it. That's what ticked you off. It's the person in the car. And at that moment, we've got to keep a clean spirit. And I've gone way over time. How can we do that? We can do it by taking the most of this moment right here, right now. We just stand at our feet. Maybe some of you are in the best place of your life. And there's going to be, there's going to be many of you in that place. That's fantastic. And you need to enjoy this moment. But you also need to know that life is designed that we're not always going to be there. And so this teaching, I hope, will come to your remembrance when you need it. But there could be others in this place who you know, you know, you know that this is a word for you. I have four little cultures I try to live by. One is to keep it real. Got to get real right now. Got to keep it real. Be real with your feelings, I'm hurting. But be real about your relationship with God and His power. Abraham, the father of our faith, said this. What did he say? In Romans chapter 4, he said he did not waver. He faced the fact, sorry, that his body was good as dead. He was able to face the facts. You might be hurting. Face the fact, I'm hurting. My emotions are hurt. My mind is full of turmoil and trouble. 
Abraham faced the fact that he could not have a child. He was too old. More to the point, his wife was too old. It was impossible. How do you get a miracle? When you have an impossibility. Thank God for the miracle working God. He did not waver through unbelief concerning the promises, but was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what He had promised. Faith can face the facts, but in facing the facts, we understand that our God is bigger than our facts. The facts are, but the truth is. The facts are, I'm hurt, but the truth is God can heal me and I can get over this hurt. That's the truth. Truth does not change, facts do. You can be hurt one day and healed the next. Facts change, truth doesn't. When Jesus saw that man who was born blind at birth, He said, this has happened that the glory of God might be revealed. Jesus went on to heal him. We conclude then that Jesus wants to heal everyone. That's not what we, we should conclude. What Jesus does changes, but what Jesus says never changes. Sometimes Jesus healed, sometimes He didn't. But everything will be used for the glory of God. Mitch is up here on stage being used for the glory of God. I knew that when this little kid was born, I knew that he was born, that the glory of God would be seen in his life. I'm looking at a group of people, a room full of people. You were born that the glory of God might be seen in your life. If you're single and you're getting on in age and, and, and the likelihood of you getting married is as, as, as gone in your mind, use your life for the glory of God as a single person. If you're married and it's not what it could be or should be, use your unhappily uh, married situation for the glory of God. If you're young, use your age for the glory of God. If you're older, use your age for the glory of God. Let's keep it real. Keep it big. We serve a big God. We do. Don't, don't be reduced to the smallness of people's conversations. Keep it big. Keep it great. Don't, don't allow the conversations you have just to be around the, the smallness of life and, and the things that are just small and not great. Oh my gosh. The sunset. The sunrise. Like, wow, what a great God. We need to be able to look at that and say, my dad did that. When's the last time you appreciated the sunset and said, my dad did that. In the midst of all this stuff, Let's keep it great and let's keep it fun. Four cultures, keep it real, keep it great, keep it big, keep it fun. With just a little bit of naughty, I might add. You're allowed to do a little bit of naughty in this church. Keep it fun. Hey, this is what I've learned in life. If it's going to be funny one day, it can be funny today. Your parents say, oh, this will be funny one day. No, no. If it's going to be funny one day, see the funny today. See the funny today. We have, a, we have an eye for problems. I believe one of the miracles God wants to do is to give us an eye for fun, an eye for funny, an eye for joy, an eye for peace, an eye for encouragement. Let's just raise our hands to heaven. Father, here we are. We thank You for this incredible privilege to be able to serve You. We thank You for this incredible privilege to be able to gather together in Your Name. When we gather together, you, there you are in the midst. May we never forget that. But wherever there are people who gather together, that's the potential to get hurt. But I pray that we would recognise that you in the midst is greater than the problems that we face. Creating us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit.
Spirit in us. Cast us not away from Your presence and renew a steadfast, a generous, a joyful and a peaceful spirit in each and every one of us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 